yourself dreaming. Yes, indeed, dear friends. So it's going to be like that today, is it? <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome in, friends, to this extraordinary oral happenstance we like to call Fusebox. This is number five. What number? <laughs> you got me all pajagged. <laughs> Uh, this is number 53, and counting, Sofa King, the name of this episode, so have a seat. I'm your uh, quite wide awake host, as my eyelids are pinned open, Mark Rose, and uh, thanks friends for uh, pushing play on this edition of the show, and over there, twiddling the knobs with acrobatic flair and panache is Milt Kane. Everybody. Present and accounted for, Padron. Say, uh, how was that uh, show last night? Uh, well, you know, in a word, thought-provoking. Well, I guess that's actually two words. But yeah, 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 interesting. The, uh, the show of uh, which we speak was a rather ambitious production, I'd say, mounted by Ian Anderson, he of the band Jethro Tull. And uh, this here uh, production featured uh, many of those classic tunes from days gone by, rather tidily tied together in a rock opera format. Hence the title of this show, Jethro Tull, The Rock Opera. Amazing. So uh, he, he wasn't in it? Oh, no, no. He was, he was front and center with uh, some new members of the band as well. But the kind of cool thing was... Um, that this entire show had uh, video running at the same time with uh, guest vocalists singing uh, with the onstage band. And, I mean, it was in perfect sync. That um, was kind of baffling to me. I don't know how they did that. Now, I've seen this done before where someone takes a track and might use this technique, but uh, this was a whole 90-minute performance. And uh, the singers came in and out at various times within the track or had a line here or there. So it was, it was really quite well done from the technical standpoint. <laughs> the other thing that it served to do is save Mr. Anderson's voice from extinction. You know, a lot of these tracks have uh, quite the vocal range, and back in the day, that might have been a lot easier to achieve. But as we get older, not so much. Well, did they do the track? <laughs> oh, you mean Aqualung? <laughs> yes, indeed. And uh, with great aplomb, too. You know, I know that one is sort of Jethro Tull's stairway to heaven in some regards, but I've always liked it. And uh, it was quite nostalgic seeing it performed. So all in all, uh, an interesting show. And I, uh, I would recommend it to those out there who might be fans of Jethro Tull, and particularly the more well-known material, as that made up about, I think, about 75% of this show. And, uh, and speaking of show... What's up on this one? What's up on this one? <laughs> well... <laughs> and timing! <laughs> Indeed. What's, uh, what's up on this one? Well, I'm, I'm glad uh, you asked as well. We have the final installment of our interview with Bob Blackburn, the uh, heir apparent to the Ed Wood estate. Mr. Wood, in case you don't know, was a writer, director, sometimes actor in films such as uh, 
Glen or Glenda, Orgy of the Dead, and the now totally infamous Plan 9 from Outer Space. Or as Criswell likes to say, Can your heart stand the shocking facts about grave robbers from outer space? Plus, haha, a special announcement that will thrill many of you. Uh, and I'll fill you in on that a bit later on in this here program. Related to the aforementioned Mr. Wood and his film, so stick around for that. We also have another scintillating installment from the video vixen herself. Amen, man. <laughs> yes. In which she has grand commentation on the classic 80s slasher flick, Sleepaway Camp. Remember that one? And so much, much more. Well, not the one where you could, like, barely understand anybody? Seriously? You know, I don't know. Uh, as this is a really rare and somewhat unusual example of a film I haven't seen. But I bet Miss Vixen will inform us accordingly. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, slashing and burning and all that, did, uh, did you do the trick-or-treat thing this year? Are you kidding me? <laughs> You're kidding me, right? <laughs> Hell, I, I turn off all the lights and go down into the basement for a few hours until the hysteria is passed. <laughs> yeah, not, not big on the whole Halloween thing. Really? Now, I figured you'd have some demented plans for the unsuspecting masses that come by your abode. Of course, you know, if you did answer the door, that would, that would clearly scare the rat poop right out of them. But, uh... That's your call there. Yeah, I don't know. Kind of creeps me out this time of year, but I do like the turn of the season, though, you know? Having the uh, fireplace going, I kind of dig it. Whoa, do I detect a bit of a romantic lurking inside that dark exterior, Mr. Keynes? Well, if a romantic can carry a big bloodied club around, then yeah. I guess so. <laughs> Grand. Listen and smell for yourself. All righty then. On with the festivities, shall we? Oh, uh... <laughs> Before I forget, a quick web update here, friends. You know, it has come to my attention, meaning a coffee-stained manila folder was pushed under my office door the other day, and inside the distressed manila folder were scads of emails, printed for my convenience, and uh, all somewhat maniacally requesting that Milt's rant a couple of programs back on our somewhat doomed celebratory show number 50, uh, requesting that that rant be posted for all to hear in its unedited glory. So, in our uh, constant quest to bring our audience what they want and when they want it, I have indeed posted that said rant to a section of the FuseboxShow.com's webpage called Milt Says, and uh, you may have at it, dear friends. Bask in the glory that is Miltness. 
and be resplendent in the baskingnessmentism of it all. Hey, thanks, man. Yeah, I, you know, I had some buddies kind of torqued off that they were just kind of getting into the thing, and then it would, like, cut away and crap. So, so yeah, I really appreciate that, man. Well, uh, my pleasure, truly. As I actually am still using these organs at the moment, and as much as I appreciate the guy who said he'd happily remove several of them for me at no charge at all if I didn't repost that bit in its entirety, I'm good. Thanks. Was that Big Bob? Did Big Bob say that? I mean, he, he should have known. Not sure if it was Big Bob, but uh, the return email address was... Uh... Handy Cleaver Butcher Shop. So if that... Damn it, Bob! Well, in keeping with the fine tradition of losing body parts for no good reason, we have another pointedly skewered commentary by our own video vixen herself. This time, dealing with the uh, guilty pleasure known as Sleepaway Camp. Yo, Angela, how come you're so fucked up? I mean, like, what's your problem? Sleepaway Camp, 1983. Director, Robert Hiltzik. Stars, Felissa Rose, Karen Fields, Christopher Collett. Robert Hiltzik dedicated this movie to his mother. I wonder how she reacted after she viewed this nastiness. The accents are so thick in this one, you might want to watch it with subtitles. Nevertheless, this is a great slasher flick that has a strong cult following and with good reason. Awkward teenager Angela lives with her cuckoo Aunt Martha and protective cousin Ricky. Aunt Martha decides to send Angela and Ricky to Camp Arawak for the summer, and if you thought things were weird already, you haven't seen anything yet. Anyway, Auntie M has kindly forged the camp physical paperwork for the kids, warning them not to tell anyone that she filled them out herself, even though she is a doctor. This lady is a doctor? Camp Arawak is whack. I'm sure that none of the staff nor the owner is qualified to work with children in any way, shape, or form. At least at Camp Crystal Lake, you only have the killer to worry about. There's an obvious pedophile cook, dumb as dirt counselors, a maniacal owner, and Robert Earl Jones, that's right, Mufasa's daddy, as the creepy second cook in command. Then there are the campers themselves, with their half shirts and Daisy Dukes on, that's how the girls and the boys dress. And their insufferable attitudes, you see right away that shell-shocked Angela doesn't have a chance. She doesn't fit in and immediately makes an enemy of uber-bitch teen queen Judy. This movie is infamous for its final scene, so I won't go into it here. But if you haven't seen it, do it now. You won't regret it. This film is gruesome and full of icky surprises. Imagine if a 13-year-old boy of below-average intelligence, that creepy uncle who always offered you horsey rides on his knee and gave you candy to keep quiet about it, and one of those Jersey Shore douchebags decided to make a movie. That is Sleepaway Camp in a nutshell. 
I'm your movie mistress, the Video Vixen. Ta-ta! Yeah, now I have to see it just because of that final scene she was talking about. You know, it's kind of like that phenomenon where there's a really big red button on a console with the words, don't press this. You know you're going to press it. So more from the Video Vixen on upcoming shows where the list of dangerous viewing is growing all the time. Nazi love camp of the SS on her list? Uh, I know in particular that that one is one of your faves, but uh, I haven't seen it on the list just yet. Hey, perhaps she'll add it just for you. Really? You think she might add? No. And so, as we move along in this cavalcade of anxious oral amusement, let us partake in another blisteringly brilliant business tip from our buddy, Carl Gordshaver. Hi, I'm Carl Cornshaver, and I've been really, really successful in my life, and now I want to share with you my amazing and totally awesome methods of success, a system I call Carl Cornshaver's amazing and totally awesome methods of success that are totally awesome and amazing. Grab a pencil, because you'll want to refer to these incredible and totally awesome tips for success all the time. Tip number 17. Sell everything you own. Then, take the money and spend it all on lottery tickets. But just be sure you set aside enough money to buy a gun and a single bullet. You know, just in case. I'm Carl Cornshaver, and I'll see you at the top. Yes, indeed, friends. Back at you here, and uh, we're about to wrap up our third and final installment of an interview I did with Bob Blackburn, the heir to the Ed Wood estate, and we've been talking about uh, Ed's history a little bit, also how Bob met uh, the late Kathy Wood, Ed's widow, and how this uh, relationship started, and also some lore about the last film uh, Ed Wood wrote but wasn't filmed until 1999 called I Woke Early, The Day I Died, starring Billy Zane, Tippi Hedren, John Ritter, Ron Perlman, among others. And uh, in this final part, we talk about the uh, fog of confusion, I would say, of uh, Ed's public domain status, among other things. And uh, as before, we have time-stamped links to uh, some photos that correspond to a few of the topics Bob is referring to, And uh, you can find those links in the show notes. And yes, but also, at the end here, I have a little treat for you that uh, just developed a few days ago that uh, Bob keyed me into, and I think you'll be very amused to discover. So onward to... The Fusebox Interview. There seems to be a little bit of 
consternation or confusion about how much of Ed's material was truly or is now truly public domain. Who really does own it? Does anybody own it anymore? I mean, we don't know. I, I, I couldn't tell you. Speaking as part of the estate of Kathy Wood, I could not tell you because I really don't know. Of course, Wade Williams laid claim to five of Ed's films. But the copyrights on all this stuff, uh, after 50 years, they all, it all goes away. After the original date of whatever, like if, if Plan 9 comes out in 1958, well, in 2008, that copy, whatever copyright's done, no matter what Wade Williams says, he owned up till 2008. And he said that he did, and he was going after people, and he was getting money for all this stuff. That's how he got a lot of money from the Disney people to recreate scenes from Plan 9 for the Johnny Depp film. Uh, I heard he bought a ranch with all that money. But after wow. 2008, he wasn't going after people. There was like a colorized version of uh, Plan 9 that came out. And usually on anything prior to that, there would at the end of it, there'd be a copyright Wade Williams Productions. Uh, on that particular film, well, after I got done watching it, they were nice enough to send me a copy of it. And there was no, no mention of Wade Williams at all. And I went, hmm, that's interesting. So... Bob the lawyer, he always tells me we'd need to hire a copyright lawyer. Even if somebody says they own a copyright and they have a copyright listed at the Library of Congress, doesn't mean they own the, that product. One lawyer telling me that we need to hire another lawyer to to clear all that up. <laughs> and I'm going, okay. And so we don't know what we may or may not own. Some of the books are copyrighted in Kathy's name, which Bob the lawyer did in the mid to late. 90s, um, there might be seven or eight of them besides Hollywood Rat Race, which, of course, she owned the original manuscript and was published new in 1997 or 98, whenever that came out. But we also renewed some of Ed's copyrights for like Killer and Drag and a few of his other books around that same time. So whether we still own those because Bob and I are the heirs of Kathy, I don't know. Um, I would like to think so, but again, I don't know. As far as like the short stories, it's a mystery to me. Um, nobody's come after me saying you can't publish these. You know, I'm trying to do a favor to the fans and Ed's memory by getting these stories out there. And the people that he worked for basically were the West Coast version of the mob, um, you know, that the controlled the porn industry here in L.A. and Hollywood in the early 70s. So I don't think they're going to come after these stories. They, You know, it, there's no money to be made for them to do right. that. It wouldn't be worth it for them to do that. So uh, it, it's, it's really a nebulous kind of a gray area. Um, Absolutely. And that's that is the lay of the land. And it's the it's a similar gray area with uh, unfortunately with uh, I woke early the day I died because it's it's sort of trapped, too, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, we never really owned the copyright on that ourselves. I mean, the company that that produced the film, Sin On, I think went out of business and they couldn't get distribution for the film. Supposedly, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying it's supposedly a bank in Beverly Hills owns it. As far as I know, and that's my story. That's what I was under the impression, but Bob would say, no, it's not. It's more complicated than that. Chris Hanley, who was the producer on this, is still making movies. He makes documentaries. Um, Muse Production, which was like one of the, the overall production companies, still is making films. But Sin Quanan, who was the point of this this company, which is the one I think that went bankrupt and then owed the money on the completion bond. And then whoever had that bond held on to the film 
until that bond could be paid off. And from what I understand, it's a few hundred thousand dollars. I don't, I don't know, but that's what I've heard. So we would love to negotiate. I mean, but see, Bob and I wouldn't necessarily own the movie, even if it was he and I that could pay the money. It, there's other people that would probably have a piece of it or would lay claim to it. I have no idea. People might be owed money from the companies, mm-hmm. you know, from from 20, 25 years ago. I have no idea. I did have lunch with Aris Iliopoulos, the director of the film, last summer, and I told him about the DVD that you and I watched, mm-hmm. and he said, oh, it's got to be a bootleg. <laughs> no. Because... <laughs> He said he said it he said it never came out and I'm I don't want to contradict him because I I know this came from the film company through a various couple of different people but the one thing he did tell me which I found fascinating he sunk ten thousand dollars of his own money into getting this film done because they were having problems by that point and so he still owed some money but he said he owns a thirty five millimeter print of the film amazing. Yeah. So if we ever wanted to take it to like um, Quentin Tarantino owns the new Beverly Theater down here in L.A. now and they screen 35 millimeter films. So I, I would love to screen this, whether it's like a midnight screening and I can take the film and I've done this like what I did with you. I can show it to friends. Right. And I've done that two or three, four times, you know, people, there's enough interest and I have friends, enough friends who would actually like to see it, that we have a little screening night and a little popcorn yeah, and whatnot. And we watch this movie that's never really come out, but to have the 35 millimeter prints and have a screen at a, at a real theater again, I would love to see this on a big screen again. Even the DVD, I mean, it looked really good. It's just the, the like I said, the production quality is really yeah. very, very nice. And, uh, you know, I'd be uh, if I was him, I'd be I'd be really quick to make a digital transfer of that thing, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. barring any unforeseen uh, nefarious things. But yeah, uh, yeah. what's the future? What do you do from here? There's a musical, and um, I'm actually helping a, a composer uh, writer. I've been helping him for the last five or six years um, to get this musical, Edward the musical off the ground. And we have a, a couple of different directions that we're going in. On Facebook, there is a Ed Wood the Musical page. And on that, people can uh, actually link on to a uh, SoundCloud and hear some of the music from. It's like Broadway ready. The music is really, really good. We're hoping to get that off the ground. There's going to be an Indiegogo campaign starting August 1st. The new book is Short Stories. Uh, hopefully we'll be out within six months to at most a year. And if I can do a coffee table book, we'd like to do that. The, the X-rated films popped up uh, last year. There's a lot of these loops that Ed made. And, and between 1971 to 1973, on his resume, he lists the titles of some of these 8 millimeter loops. There's over 700 hmm. of them. My God. And he, not only that, the articles, there's another... 85 or 90 articles, quote unquote, then there's also about 160 short stories. This is in a three-year period. For a drunk, he was really productive. It was amazingly prolific. Yeah. I mean, we knew that. I mean, it just you just look at the list of stuff. How could you possibly, you know, you're not breathing. You're just, you're not eating or doing, you're just writing constantly or producing. Yeah, you're, you're typing, drinking, and smoking, basically. Was That's basically, now, do these films exist somewhere in some extant form, or are they? Yeah, they're eight millimeter loops and and you can yeah some of them were for the swedish erotica company um 
Right. They were through the pendulum. Calga, besides making the the magazines, the uh, you know the soft porn or porn magazines, they were also making these short films that they would sell, you know, to guys to show in their <laughs> whatever. We want. Yeah. But um, so they're out there, but they're probably in private collections. You don't see them pop up on eBay very often. I mean, there I've looked, and I have I have not found any yet. I've often wondered if if. One or two of these didn't pop up in like a 42nd Street Pete collection. He had a bunch of things uh, released through, I don't know who the releasing company was. It might have been EI or somebody. But anyway, where he did a bunch of storefront loops. They were silent, you know, and they were just your typical, you know, 10, 15 minutes, whatever. Some of them look suspiciously like... Like the kind of stuff Ed did, and I can't. I can't tell you for sure because there's no credits. You don't know anything. Well, I mean, there's they're no just... credits, and nine times out of ten, there's no titles either. But Ed had titles right. for these, so that some of these, you're right. I mean, it could have been um, a, a drag queen, you know, in in one of these things who strips in and does something or whatever. And it very well could have been one of Ed's, you know. And there's a couple other films that, uh, like Mrs. Stone's Thing, which has never been found and come out, but somebody sent me a bootleg copy that they had which ed is in he's just in it as an actor but he's dressing in drag Mm. at a party scene and things like that so there's still a few things that are out there that we're discovering all the time you know so but then again it begs the question of who owns what i mean all these like cycle cycler nymph and all these other films that came out through alpha blue um, mm-hmm. uh, last year, year before, they claimed to own them because they found them, kind of a thing, you know. And the estate had nothing. I mean, we didn't, we didn't go after anybody, so you know, it's, just, yeah. it's, it's it, again, it, it becomes this really nebulous kind of a thing. On Ed's resume, there's a list of uh, the books that he wrote, and one of them is a title which is one of my favorite title of Ed's stories anywhere. It's called "The Fall of the Balcony Usher." <laughs> nice. Beautiful. Now, nobody's ever seen that book. And he's, he says it was published by Corinthian Publishing out of uh, Atlanta or something. And he even names the publisher. But it's like I have never seen it. There's a, there's a few other titles on there that are really bizarre. Now, also in his films, there's one film which is, has been retitled, but it's called – the name of the movie is Flame of Islam. Believe wow. it or not, Ed was way ahead of the curve no on kidding. that one. But it, it was retitled as something else. But Ed referred to it as the Flame of Islam. Go, go find it. I have no idea. It's out there somewhere. Wow. Was so, it now? There, would you know what year this was supposedly? Uh... I would have been in the six fifties or sixties. It would have been wow back, back then because Ed didn't list any of the other movies like the Cycle Slut and Nympho Psycho Nympho or whatever it was. A lot of these ones that just recently came out. Ed didn't really write or produce or have anything to do with. He was either in or maybe he was a dialogue coach or he wrote some lines for. So he didn't take credit for them. So this other stuff was ones that he considered his films or he took credit for or he wrote, you know, like Orgy of the Dead, you know. Right. he was more the right wasn't the director. He was a writer. So he included that on his resume. Um, but um, some of these other ones he didn't. So the flame of Islam is on there. I have no idea. Wide, wacky world. Wide, wacky world indeed. Thanks again to Mr. Bob Blackburn for taking the time out to do this interview. It was indeed a delight to speak with him. And uh, as I said at the top of the segment, 
we have a little surprise for you. That uh, long-delayed film, I Woke Early the Day I Died, has actually resurfaced. For how long? I don't know. But at this particular moment in the time-space continuum, it's available to watch. And if you look down there in the show notes, you will see a cryptic link to the aforementioned film. And you, too, can be one of the select few to view this treat for as long as it lasts, because who knows? So check it out. Now, in all true disclosure there, again, we're being so honest on this show. Now, I don't know what the print quality of this version is, um, if it's all that spiffy or what, but it's uh, worth a look. And I guarantee you that it is not unneedlessly remarkable. So, if your heart can stand the shock of I woke early the day I died, by all means, dive right in. And with that, we'll call it a show, friends. Thanks, as always, for pushing play on this edition of the program. Seismically disruptive thanks to our collaborators on this one, Bob Blackburn for Adventures in Woodville, Xander James for ID Linerment embellishments, Ms. Trista Perez for vixenizing us properly, and Jeff Pollard for hoisting the show up by its own petards. And of course, to Milt, I'm dancing as fast as I can, Canes, over there for technical assistance. Hey, uh, maybe Big Bob has a few ideas about stopping legal actions. I know he can do miracles when it comes to, uh, How comforting to know that. Thanks as well to you, friends, for engaging us once again on this thing we cleverly call Fusebox. And I urge you, with the anxious energy of a lawsuit, to head on over to the Fusebox store and take a gander at some of the wonderful baubles and trinkets we have assembled there. Easily located at thefuseboxshow.com and just push the little shopping tab thingy to be magically transported to a world of wonder. And be mindful of our Facebook page as well, cause we're gonna be doling out some hefty discount coupons in the coming days to make your holiday shopping way easier on the wallet. So watch for that too. That is all, dear friends, and so until our next cartoon. Fuse.